Right, let's go. Hello guys, welcome to an episode of The Biofiles with my two co-hosts, Dids and Jack, myself, Ed, and we're going to be taking you through some interesting and topical news stories in the world of biology, which we hope you'll enjoy listening to. Biofiles! That was... We might have to actually use that. That was very close to the Mario theme tune. Yeah, but it was slight spin on it. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't think we're going to get copyrighted for that. (laughs) So, without further ado, I'll go first. It's decided. (laughs) Um, And the topic I found interesting reading this week was something called the gallery test, which has recently been on the NHS and they're trialling it as a blood sample test to detect for over 50 different types of cancer. And this is quite cool because... The blood test is called a liquid biopsy and it looks for circulating tumour DNA. So that's just DNA which has come out of cancerous cells. And they sequence this DNA to try and find mutations which are specific to these different cancers. So a characteristic of a cancer is the DNA, so that's the genetic information. It's not copied properly and that results in these things called mutations. And particular cancers have particular mutations which you can then if you can get that DNA, you can sequence through it and that will show you that there probably is a cancer within you. And one of the reasons this is quite kind of quite big and uh, quite massive is because if you can detect these cancers early stage, it's called stage one, then you have a lot higher chances of surviving. Whereas at the moment, a lot of cancers which are detected in people, especially in the UK, are usually at stage two or beyond, which the survival rates or the successful treatment rates are a lot lower. And yeah, I thought this was just pretty mad because if you can get a blood sample which i say the almost the majority of us have had um for various different reasons they're pretty pretty easy i mean myself i'm not very good at blood tests at all i did faint on my first one i didn't faint on my second one so we're going up i think i have a <laughs> progression yeah I, progress yeah i think i have another one coming up soon um so hopefully i won't faint there and yeah just something so simple could detect so many different types of cancers which could have a massive impact on your future treatment and the current like rates which treatments are going and how survival is increasing. Especially with early detection. Especially with early detection, that's the thing. Yeah. And that's one of the things which is kind of like, yeah, m- massive about this is that if you can detect these cancers early, then you can quickly get it before it metastasizes, which is where it spreads throughout the body and starts um, kind of in, not infecting, but uh, amassing in different organs and different places in your body and if you can stop that then the chances are are huge but did you guys see that the like kind of success rates of a detection aren't as high as you might think from your test yeah from the the gallery the gallery test the grail trial yeah, yeah. But i think i think that's to be expected with any new technology really isn't it so it shouldn't be put to bed just yet it should definitely be explored because the idea of catching something early um, I, I really liked your analogy uh, when you said it's like a liquid biopsy. That's it's so, it, I mean, it's so descriptive of, of what it is. But do you know how much blood is needed? Like, is this like a, like a serial draw from a main vein or is this um, like something you can do for an STI test, like when you prick your finger? I'm not too sure. I can imagine, I can imagine in my head it's a serial draw. So like yeah. collecting blood as if you were to... I have surgery and they, 
Yeah, well, not oh, not, sorry, not yeah. to the level of donation, not like pints and pints. <laughs> don't need pints. Yeah. <laughs> what I mean is you take it in the same manner. <laughs> but I guess you wouldn't need too much, though, would you? Because if you can... like, So I, I can imagine, I haven't actually looked into this either, but I can imagine the way that they, they do it is they amplify the DNA, yeah. like the mutations. So the way that they go about doing that is with something called polymerase chain reaction, where... They kind of they know the piece of DNA they're looking for, which is going to be the same in most people because these mutations are so common, and then they can copy that loads of times so that they can detect it. Which you think you don't need that much material for that to um, to get loads of it that you can then sequence. So I don't think you'll need that much. But I don't know. A pinprick seems too small. But I'm not. But you can do a lot with a pinprick, though. You can do a lot with a pinprick. I guess, like. What concentrations? or oh, pardon me. What concentrations are these in the um? Are these at in the blood? If they're really really small concentrations, you expect they would. You might need a bit more just to have you like you have enough sample to then amplify. But yeah, they said half the is it half the study having their uh, data stored so they can sequence it later. So they can. Cause I think it might have been your one. Or it might have been Jack's one. I was reading through. Spoiler alert. We're going to go through another one as well. Um, I was looking through and they said 50% of the uh, trial batch will be uh, stored so that if the patients later get cancer, um, they can sequence it and see if they would have detected it at the initial draw. Is that correct? Ah, I, that sounds a bit like something I heard on, because I was re- reading something about the American, well, because this is already going out in America, which I think is another thing which is quite big, mm-hmm. you can already get this in America. They say that if you have a detection of cancer in your first one, they'll, like, they'll then test you again. They said for free, so I'm not sure how much it's costing people in America to do this. But they made that sound like you then go back and get retested. But I don't know, because if you're storing DNA, that's expensive for them. Two, DNA is like prone to break down, which is why when you get like the... Um, in like archaeological digs, when you find some DNA, it's like, oh, we can recreate the woolly mammoth. And it's like, oh, well, you don't really have much DNA there because it's all broken down, but... You can try and uh, cross it with some elephant DNA and like fill Literally, in the gaps. Like what, like what they did uh, in Jurassic World. Well, Jurassic <laughs> I'm not sure how much we're saying that the science in Jurassic Park is a. Uh, I'm not. Is legit. Look, it's true. The, the CGI didn't exist back in the day <laughs> to make that kind of visuals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, going back to the. Oh wait, wait, sorry, sorry. You said how much did it cost, right? The gallery test in America. The list price for the gallery test is nine hundred and forty-nine dollars. Nine Maybe four... health savings account, wow. uh, a flexible spending account el- eligible. So I suppose that's some sort of like health finance that America have. I guess in England they would offer it for at-risk people. Um, yeah. So I think the trial at the moment, which is going on, is between for people between fifty-five and seventy. Yeah, say. sounds about but right. I guess it's that's where the age of well, yeah, you can you see these graphs of how likely you are to get cancer or like how at risk you are and it just goes kind of like, gets exponential which is actually quite yeah. scary as you go up and up um but yeah so i'm reading here i've got written down that the sensitivity for stage or detecting stage one cancers is 39 percent. so for 100 people who have a stage one cancer only 39 people are going to get detected for which is great that you can you can detect 39 or that number of the population and if you can get 39 out of 100 people who have cancer onto treatment like rapido and that's going to be a lot better than no people doing it but let's uh let's segue away i'm going to go back to the blood segue away. Or, lick. <laughs> <laughs> or uh 
<laughs> on liquid biopsies, which I, I yeah, I hadn't really heard of them before because like a biopsy, no. whenever you think of a biopsy, it is a usually like a, a bit of your tumor is taken off. So you might have say like a dodgy spot on you. They might they might take uh, like take a skin graft and then that is a like a, a biopsy of the of the cancer. Um, that's not the a, a correct definition. I might be wrong there, but that is that sort of thing. Taking a sample of the cancer, I think with your with like lung cancers, the way they do it is they put like a almost like an endoscope down your throat with mm. a camera on it, and then a pincer, and then like they then pinch out the cancer and bring it back and do samples on that. Which that is this sounds horrible. And as, by all like, accounts, biopsies are quite painful. Exactly, but just imagine that yeah, getting a bit of skin pinched out of you. But if it's a blood sample, where don't get me wrong, a lot of people are not a fan of needles mm. um but that's like a lot better than taking a bit of well I, I, you could argue it's a lot better than taking a bit of, of your tumor and um yeah that kind of led me down to other ways of detecting like cancers which aren't which aren't the standard let's take a sample of your tumor um and see what's going on and there's this one called the swallowable swallow swallowable sponge which apparently can detect precancerous uh, throat condition called Barrett's esophagus. Um, yeah, called Barrett's esophagus. It's quite a big capsule. It looks like, and you swallow it, and it has a string on it, and then you like pull it back out of your um, throat, and then it's a sponge which is like it then looks like a loofah, like it it comes out loads, and all these different spines on the end have these your like your sample on. I don't know if you do that in person. They then like take that out and like test it straight in the lab or if you then have to send it off somewhere but just doing this like little sponge which can uh then detect this cancer or like signs that you might be developing a cancer um i think it sounds pretty cool and they say this one's quite good because throat cancer is really hard to detect because one of the first symptoms is you can't swallow properly and that's when it's got too far like if it's if it's a tumor big enough where you can't swallow then that's huge so if you can detect early on and like with high risk people then that's going to be pretty cool and there's another one i was reading about called a i don't know what it's called but it's like these little cameras like a capsule camera so it's like a pill those things are well cool you swallow it and like yeah you kind of all that like nanotechnology thing you swallow it and you can go around and try and like look for abnormalities in your body i don't really understand how how it would work though like say it's in your gut and you have the camera good things going on like say you have like big information in your gut how's it going to detect for like a camera, it just records it, just records it doesn't it? And but it's pitch, it's pitch black in there. I imagine they've got a light on there. <laughs> it's just a little search. <laughs> there is this the uh, it is this someone with the remote control. <laughs> yeah, they obviously staff it with small people. And then... <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Put the shrink gray in and uh, yeah. <laughs> all go in. But no, I think these um it'll be interesting to see where those technologies are in like 10, 20 years time to see if we are swallowing things to detect. Right, should we move on to the next one? The next topic. Um, yeah, so I I was researching, uh, or what I read this week was um, that Cardiff University may have accidentally cured cancer. Um, they were looking into turning T cells into weapons to fight against uh, bacterial infections, uh, and they, yeah, accidentally seemed to have found a strain of T cells which are capable of killing pretty much any kind of cancer, um, but leaving healthy cells completely alone. So it's way better than chemotherapy and stuff that exists now, which is really unpleasant um, to go through. That's class. So, so he's <clears throat> like a really 
um, specific uh, treatment just to cancer, whereas chemotherapy knocks out everything. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and they still aren't 100% sure uh, like how it works. Um, so it'll be interesting finding out um, how these T cells are deciding which cells are cancerous and which ones aren't, and if there's some sort of universal marker of cancerousness that we've been missing all this time <laughs> that we could use another detection assays. I do, uh, I do like your the clickbait analogy of the classic tabloid newspaper using all cancers and weapons in your <laughs> in your analogy. <laughs> oh, it's um, it is yeah, it's incredible, <laughs> isn't it? That the because what the test was looking to kill bacteria, but the, they were growing bacteria in cancerous cells, and then. Uh, it was killing the cancer cells and not the bacteria, or was it killing both? Well, yeah, it was killing the um, the cancer cells which were infected with the bacteria. So I don't think it was necessarily killing the bacteria themselves. It was just stopping them from taking over cells and being able to live inside them, basically. Didn't, didn't um, you say that when they um, removed the bacteria, the treatment continued to kill T cells, uh, the, the cancer, the tumor cells? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's um, so. Yeah, they were infecting the tumor cells with bacteria um, to see if they could kill them. But then they also realized that the controls they'd included with just regular cancer cells with no bacteria inside them, um, they were also getting killed. Uh, and then they tested them on healthy cells, which weren't cancerous, uh, and found that they left them completely alone. So they were like, oh, we may have found something here. That was going to be my next question. Why were they using tumor cells just for ease of culture or. Um... Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. That's, no, that's yeah. They nice. weren't. They weren't aiming to find a new cure for cancer. Cancer wasn't their like field of interest. Really, it was just sort mm. of an accidental mistake. That's um, that's a happy mistake, I guess. Which is incredible. Yeah. I think the fact that it doesn't kill healthy cells, like has hasn't been shown to damage healthy cells, is is crazy. Because as we say, yeah, chemo chemotherapy. Unfortunately, that does kill a massive amount of healthy cells. And you've got the like modern fertilized mm. medicine, which is still has like a slight overlap in in healthy cells, usually because the things which the uh, personalized medicine are trying to target on the cancer are also found at low levels on a normal cell. So um, it does have a bit of overlap in normal cells. But this one is yeah, the, the, the preliminary research is showing that healthy cells are, are untouched by by this um, this therapy, which I think in the for the people who have un- like looked at it and read about it. It's, really exciting in the uh like kind of therapeutic industry or maybe not just that's not a therapeutic industry because with, ther- with therapeutics you do get a bit of a a cross between they just doing it for the money but in like the 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 biology community of going forward and yeah curing curing cancer and what's what a few analogies have been saying it's like a, a one-size-fits-all isn't it where you could give people like the same the same drug like you give people the same vaccines uh, to kill the common cold if you give people the same drug to kill to kill cancer, then that's that's gonna be phenomenal in terms of like cost and like ease of treatment, the ability to yeah batch produce. Mm. Like if you can batch produce something, then that's gonna be be a lot less. I mean, and... even tolerability of treatment, like on the individual, it's so important. Because as we mentioned, like previous therapies, like chemotherapy, for example, is is a non-specific cancer treatment, which basically just ends up targeting fast fast. Um, fast replicating cells and that's why unfortunately cancer patients who are undergoing chemotherapy lose their hair because obviously hair divides rapidly 
and so it's targeted by the chemotherapy as well and a lot of people find that they're just really worn out after chemotherapy because they just get their body just gets obliterated and um i've read reports where they've been trialing new drugs and um it's been efficacious like it's worked but the patients are after asking the patients afterwards kind of would you go through it again uh they're like absolutely not it's just not if to them it wasn't worth it because it was it was so intense so this is this mm. is fantastic to have that specific treatment which can be effective and tolerable by the person because it's only the the, the bad cells though that are getting taken care of it's it's brilliant i think yeah I, adding on to that as well one of the sad things about quite a few cancer treatments is, is if the cancer doesn't kill you sometimes it can be the cancer treatment which kills you because mm-hmm. it is killing like yeah so many different healthy things as well which maybe we won't put that in because it's just a bit a uh, bit, bit doom and gloom but i think it does need to be known issue is necessary yeah because i mean i didn't i didn't realize um for a while that also immune cells uh were targeted during chemotherapy so not only do you lose your hair you'll also lose your ability to defend yourself from like the common cold because your immune mm. cells get obliterated because they're also fast replicating. Um, and so, mo- I mean, a lot of people, unfortunately, uh, undergoing treatment, die from secondary infection. So is it secondary infection? Is that the way to say it? Basically an infection that's resulted um, yeah. from a lack of immune system because the immune um, suppressants they've been put on so that they don't lose it all leaves them vulnerable. Um, mm. It's just yeah it's just unfortunate it's, it's horrible going back to the treatment though one of the cool things which i was uh, reading about was that they took um like different tumors from different people and the cells were able to attack each of these tumors and like just yeah kill them all and i think they they tested it on like from like breast and lung cancers which are some of the big ones skin cancer and bone cancer as well i think bone cancer is a really horrible drug uh, a really horrible cancer which I'm not too sure what the research is and the therapeutics like at the moment, but I'm quite sure I remember being taught that bone cancer is bad. Whereas like prostate cancer, that has quite a high survival rate um, comparatively to yeah. other cancers. I think I'm not sure how what it's like for bone cancer. I suppose it's, it's easy. If you look at this is not scientific and don't anybody quote me in a conversation or in a paper, but I suppose it's a lot easier to get to like the prostate than it is to get inside your bone. Because, I mean, you, you've got to drill into the bone and then get inside it and then, you know, deal with the cancer there. That's that's horrendous. So, mm. I mean, obviously... Would still, that would still be an issue with this treatment. Say it can treat bone cancer. How are you going to get it to the site of cancer? I'm, I'm not really sure how they actually administer it, to be fair. Um, I think maybe it... I don't think you would necessarily have to drill into the bone and inject no. a bunch of T-cells or something. I think it would probably just be intravenous or something and just hopefully it will diffuse into the bones basically and sort everything out did they do any in vivo comparisons in this in this test so to my knowledge so far they've only tried it in mice um but they found it was very uh successful uh they found it killed 91 to 99 percent of cancerous cells uh, and that's testing in live mice um which are they're fairly similar to humans. Obviously, we won't know if it works in humans until we actually try it, but it's, it's definitely a promising sign. Did they assess um, its efficacy on cancer stem cells? I'm not sure. 
which is that is a big issue isn't it? that yeah. yeah that was what my undergrad dissertation was like looking at it was like a way of targeting the slow replicating um cancer stem cells which lead to relapse so when when you remove when you have these really effective treatments which are removing 91 to 98 percent of the tumor mass there's still nine or two percent of the tumor cells still in that area and unfortunately because cancer stem cells don't replicate fast and they can tolerate a hypoxic environment which means like there's no oxygen there in the center of the tumor um they can live on and like kind of go undetected during treatment which is brilliant for the cancer cell but unfortunately that will then lead to relapse because the cancer is still there uh, but where it's at such a small concentration after such a efficacious first initial treatment it's a real problem because you don't know it's there you think you've got uh, i mean yeah you, you think you've got rid of the, the lump so you were right and then all of a sudden a couple months later unfortunately you've got another cancer that would be really interesting to see if if it was uh, effective on cancer stem cells mm. the um it kind of like bottlenecks it doesn't it, it bottlenecks all of the like the horrible like really super resistant cancers mm. um or the resistant to the therapies because yeah they're not the ones getting fully killed off so then when it does when you go go into a relapse and it starts like dividing again then it's all these horrible like ones which you can't treat which then come back the second time no but i guess um i guess seeing as it's not like chemo or radiotherapy where like it's really a really horrible thing to go through um and you know really hurt hurts the hurts the patient almost as much as the cancer itself i guess with this therapy potentially even if it does come back you could just give them more rounds of therapy and just keep it under control almost even if you don't completely eradicate it yeah i suppose if it's so if it's so specific then yeah i mean i I, we don't obviously until they've done this in um like a comparable species we don't know the effect on the individual that this treatment would have like we're assuming that it's fine on on everyone because it's only targeting the cancer cells but yeah if it's tolerable then I guess you could, but nobody wants to go. It's like having um, when you get put on dialysis, isn't it? Like it's a it's a really effective treatment for kidney failure or impairment, but nobody wants to keep going back to the hospital every two weeks to um, to be plugged into a machine. So no, yeah, that's true. But I guess also people go through like multiple rounds of chemotherapy and radiotherapy, so this would definitely be like a better alternative until we find something that can you know 100% kill all cancer forever yeah but maybe something which we should say is how how this kind of goes about detecting cancers and things like what what they're looking at is mr1 it's called which is a a receptor and the receptor is something which puts something which is on the inside of your cell onto the outside of your cell and what they're hypothesizing here is that the cancerous cells are producing different things with inside themselves than a healthy cell would and MR1 is then presenting these different proteins, they're called, on the outside of the cell. And your body can then recognise this as like, oh, that's not a, a human protein. That's not a protein which I should be producing. And therefore, they can start this antibiotic, or not, not antibiotic, they can start this, um, this immune, immune response against it to try and remove these cells which shouldn't be in your body, out of your body. And... Um, so I think yeah, one of the reasons why it's just attacking attacking cancer cells and not human cells is because it's 
producing these cancerous proteins and not the human proteins. It's a really interesting point you brought up about the um, the what would we see in humans because it often gets overlooked uh, at that animal models. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't get overlooked, but everyone just kind of assumes it as the norm. But animal models are just models. They're not. They're not humans, and they they have inherent differences. So this uh, uh, receptor, which they're targeting on in these models, is you know like really representative of tumors in uh, in mouse. Is it we're using or rats? Mice. Is it mouse? mice? Uh, mice. Yeah. In mice, yeah. Uh, and like, will it have the same effect um, in humans? Will it display the same efficacy? Is in like it, it, as it, as Ed said, is it going to be? Uh, are we going to have any crossover between healthy cells and humans? And like, you just don't know until you use a human model, or a, I suppose you could use a humanized model. Um, but again, I'm not a massive fan of those. I don't, I don't like the idea of those. Well, maybe about yeah, an organ on a chip. To our, our next topic. <laughs> yeah, well, if that's what you want to talk about, guys, then <laughs> we'll roll on into that. So basically, um, traditionally, cell cultures are 2D, uh, two-dimensional cell cultures. As everyone knows, like the human body is three-dimensional. Um, so these 2D models aren't necessarily representative of a 3D environment. Um, so then a 3D um, cell culture is basically just the same as a 2D, but with the added dimension. The beauty of an organ on chip is you're taking this uh, 3D culture of cells and you're putting it in a model which can now be perfused, uh, which basically means it's flushed with blood or a blood-like substance uh, to replicate what would happen when blood arrives at tissue in the body and spreads through the tissue, undergoes uh, gas exchanges and uh, nutrient exchanges, uh, and then you know goes away. You can model that with um in an organ on chip you can also simulate the stretch and flexion response that you get as you're moving around so obviously your cells aren't static all the time when you move your hand open and close it um the cells are stretching and there's been studies that have found that the stretch and flexion response has an effect on the the expression of genes in in these cells so it's really important to include that um when you're looking at kind of modeling drug toxicity or uh, therapy efficacy so how effective a therapy is uh, because the genetic exp- or the, the expression of genes can affect how effective these treatments are what what they're doing isn't it is that it's a an organ on a chip is a kind of like scaled down version of your organs so i think for the lung one a lung on a chip it's um you have the like a layer where cells are grown and under that layer you have a well, like the layer is a permeable surface like your blood vessels are and underneath it they're flowing this blood sample through it but also on either side they've got the vacuums where they can decide how much air is being pumped in and out which then representing the air inflow of like when you breathe and um, as you said because it's vacuums these cause a change in the shape of the cells which then cause a different genetic expression or just a different change influences in, in function influences. influences yeah which um, is just huge. So it's kind of, yeah, just taking one of your organs and scaling it down mm-hmm. to a, we say chip level, like some of them have been sized next to like a, a two pence piece. Like they can be very, very small. And um, 
one of the beauties of that is because they're they make them in like see-through containers you can then look into it and as you were mentioning earlier like you can they're they're, they're really cool videos um you should definitely look them up if you're at all interested of a immune cell like starting off from the blood have you seen because, it yeah starting yeah. off with blood and you can see the where the like the holes are in this permeable membrane this layer which divides the cells from the blood but allows blood through which is the same in the um, body by the way which is the same in the body yeah it's all representative yeah. like yeah you can see this immune cell come through it can then detect this bacteria which is there which they've obviously put on themselves because they're, they're seeing how the immune response is to bacteria in this sample and uh and then in- engulfs this bacteria and is able to do that on a chip which is and you can live image happens. it you can live image it and the be- the visuals are fantastic and they're just such a great way of showing the promise of this technology uh and like kind of mapping that um response the mechanistic response uh mechanistic the, blah, 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 the mechanism of an immune response uh is so important because if you can watch it you can kind of bring up new theories of how things work the whole um modeling the immune system and watching it target it will infiltrate firstly it's, it's brilliant uh, and then looking at watching it target and locate the the pathogens of the bacteria um is just fascinating yeah like so that was done uh, like that is done on has been done on, like in vitro hasn't it because in vitro is where yeah cells grown in the lab and they then do yeah, tests. It's, it's an in vitro technology it's a, it technically is ex vivo um yeah it's taken out of a body yeah but like I was, what I was trying to say is we've like in our undergrad we've seen videos of like a bacteria just going around some cells, not a bacteria going around. It's like yeah, kind of a race between a bacteria and an immune cell in like an. The classic room. video. Everybody would yeah. have seen it in an introduction to immunology. Must have. Which I wonder how many people have have had. <laughs> I'm sure. I think I saw it at school for my first time, like GCSE. <laughs> so. But that's the sort of thing we remember as well. I that's imagine true. a lot of people would be like, oh. What was yeah. that? Um, <laughs> it was like a grainy video. It was like black and white. With like two pixels in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then like with how organ a chip takes it one step further is it seeing it not in this thing which is just like a, a layer of cells. It's 2D. seeing it in yeah. a yeah, seeing it in a in a model which is meant to represent what it's looking like in the human. Which this sounds like sounds amazing and one for looking at how your immune response. But I think another massive application of it is how like drugs can be um you can visualize like drug responses within the body and how a drug goes around and like treats cells or like um and interacts with cells and how it's like broken down by your say liver where a lot of drugs are broken down run it through a liver on a chip run through the drug at a concentration um so an amount which you're likely to see or you inject yeah in the human body and um, you can see that, oh, this breaks down into this molecule and that's actually really dangerous to the body. Or it might be, oh, actually, this then gets broken down into this, which your body can then like treat with and that's no longer toxic or it's not going to affect the rest of the body. And um, I guess like, one of the massive applications of these organon chips is it could see a quicker progression of drugs through the uh, phases which a drug needs to go to. So go from being discovered to then actually being put on the market as they say where it can be treated with people and another massive massive impact of this is hopefully means for animal testing can be eliminated because at the moment animal testing is seen as necessary because it's the step between testing on just a sheet of cells and then on a clinical trial because if it kills an animal then it's likely it's going to kill a, or it's going to affect a human which isn't nice but you can see that's 
that's needed. That's an ethical issue, which we uh, we won't go into. And um, so, yeah, if you can do it on an organ, on a chip, then that can just, that's one looking at your human cells. So it's going to be more indicative of what's actually happening inside you. And two, that's animals which don't need to be used in these testings, um, which is just a win-win, like a huge win-win for everything. Um, it's in a position where it's working and it is used, it's utilised quite a lot. So um, a lot of, so the basically the, the medica, medical um, or the drug regulators are accepting data from new approach methodologies, which are, are non-animal methods predominantly. Um, so these are just new technologies which have been uh, produced or kind of thought up which don't require the use of animals to bring about the same endpoints so to find out the same information and the drug agency and the chemicals agency agencies around the world are the majority of them are accepting new approach methodology data to supplement current um like data packages um for like regulatory approval of their compounds so be that drug or chemical um this obviously is building up a bank of data for organ on chip regulatory approval as a standalone technology but we're just not there with the wealth of data at the moment because you want to submit you want to submit an application with so much data that no one can say no for the approval saying that it is being used i went to i was in a conference um where a guy from the united states army's like chemical biological radioactive nuclear warfare research center not sure the actual acronym, um, but they use uh, organ on chips to, to screen uh, for like nerve agents, chemical weapons, uh, the efficacy on human cells or human models uh, because they appreciate the physiological relevance of the technology. Uh, and they're using it because it's the most accurate human um, model that we can use, which isn't a person. Uh, um, but you can basically connect these chips to make a body on a chip with all these different individual chips um, so you can take you can look at um, lung exposure to a compound so an aerosolized compound so basically just means in a gaseous form as if you're in as if you were to take it in an inhaler or just breathe it in the air you can then watch that pass through your lung chip get into the blood system the blood supply and then you can track it around the uh, the system as it passes to other organs and then you can look at the toxicity of that compound in those other organs which is really really good because the only other way of doing that is to do it in vivo which is inside an animal model or a person obviously ethically you can't do that in a person and you've seen a lot more ethical consideration with the use of animal models especially for inhalation testing it's did you crazy. have this talk for about 10 minutes solid there yeah yeah like, we'll stop that. Yeah, it's, a, it's a lot it's a lot to take <laughs> I, in. I can out the the actual 20 seconds of useful stuff you said in that and uh... <laughs> 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 no, I, haven't it. I think on that point are there any other are there any other points about anything we've said today which people would like to bring up it's been a long no. episode that one yeah no i think we're good as well thank you very much for listening to this episode of the bar files with jack did and myself ed and we look forward to talking next week or next time about uh three more interesting topical and I was going to say fun. I don't think fun is quite the right word. Um, Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Cheers.